Billy Roberts is a certified life coach who has a gift for helping others find peace and fulfillment in their lives. She has an incredibly calming presence and an ability to hold space for different people, different struggles, and different life circumstances. Before Billy became certified through Brooke Castillo's Life Coach School, she experienced many of her own ups and downs, including financial struggle, illness, raising four children three years old and under, and battling both depression and anxiety, which she believes has helped her to really understand and relate to her coaching clients. Today, Billy and I get to talk about and even give you a couple of live demos of what it's like to be coached by her, first in parenting and then with mental health. We also talk about the difference between hiring a life coach and going to therapy. Billy shares with me why she doesn't like to give people the answers, but instead believes in leading them to the answers they know are right for them. And if you decide after listening to this that you'd like to work with Billy as a life coach, she actually is in an incredibly unique position as part of her family's philanthropy to be able to offer the life coaching for free or in exchange for optional donations to her charity in Cambodia. Stick around and see if this feels like a good fit for you and to find out how to set up a coaching session with Billy. Okay, Billy, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast today and to share your calming, amazing presence with so many people that I, the minute I met you, I loved you and just felt this like incredible presence that you have to make everyone feel so good. And like I said, calm and just, you're amazing. I'm so excited to share you with all of the people that listen to this podcast episode. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you yet, will you just tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah. Thank you, Corinne. I am so grateful to be here with you and the feeling is mutual. I'm so grateful we got to know each other. And so I'm Billy Roberts. I, gosh, I don't know, I just turned 40. I'm, I'm loving 40. I think it's a great time. Um, I have two sets of twins that are 17 and 13. They're all miracle babies. And I've been married for almost 20 years to a hunk of a babe, Lloyd. <laughs> uh, he just recently published G Cubed. It's just top of mind. Shameless plug. Love it. Yeah. And I love all the arts. I love, I love coaching. Coaching is my thing. It's, it's what I do for me and for my contribution to the world. It's kind of more spiritual and emotional based. And my message is peace. I want to illuminate peace and, and help other people feel it when they're in pain and when they're not. And you do such a good job of that, helping people find peace. I would love to just start with where you even heard about coaching or decided that was your calling in life and why you decided to go into that. Yeah. So I've struggled with depression and anxiety since I was little. And I went to all the therapy. I went to all kinds of helpers for that. But in my adulthood, the greatest tools I have found are that in the coaching world. And I loved it so much that once I kind of came to know the tools, I, I, I wanted to know every single one of them. And I wanted to help other people. 
I wanted to facilitate, so turn around and then help other people with the same tools. And that has been like such a great life work for me. Yeah, that's that's how I came to know it and and love it. That's so awesome. <laughs> well, a lot of people really love something like that, but they don't necessarily decide, okay, now I want to do this. Where was the change where you decided, okay, I love it, but now I want to do this for other people and not just consume that for myself or not consume it, but like not just benefit from it for yourself, but turn around and then offer it to others. Yeah. So I think, I mean, there was one time I was taking out the trash and I was walking out into the garage and it hit me like quite powerfully that, that I should probably pursue an education in, in coaching. And I went to life coach school in 2019, but I realized that I've always kind of been in a coaching role in a lot of my Mm. relationships, whether that's good or bad. I, I kind of took that role upon myself and well, it's just basically me living what I was living, but with greater understanding and greater ability to hold space. Honestly, I think that's the biggest thing for me is learning to what I learned was how to hold space and not take other people's pain upon myself. I think what I was doing was mourning with those that were mourning and taking it upon myself, thinking that that was what was meant by mourning with those that mourn. But I, my greatest education was how to hold space and let it be okay for someone else to feel pain in my presence and me be there, a safe place and maintain a clear perspective of what is going on so that I can be uh, helpful. Yeah, that's so profound. I feel like whenever I hear people say, oh, we're all mirrors of each other, I kind of disagree with that because I feel like that's not necessarily healthy and that it's more helpful to allow people their feelings and to not necessarily make them feel like, you have to jump in it with them. And so what you're saying is you've learned to help people without having to carry the burden with them, right? Right. Right. That's the greatest education I received by far. And it has really made it so that I can coach back to back to back all day. And it doesn't trigger my depression or it doesn't make it worse. In fact, it actually makes it better. Like I was telling you in preparation for the podcast, I, I'm i in a current low. I'm in a really yeah. difficult place right now, depression-wise, and I, I cycle. I've still met with a couple of clients and my sister and a couple other friends were like, is that adding to your depression? Is that making it worse? And I'm like, no, it's, it's what keeps me going. I think that if I can use this pain for other people to feel more seen and heard, then so be it, you know? Yeah. And I loved what you kind of taught me about when we were in Hawaii, where you said that you don't want to be someone's guru or to show them the way, but you like to show people how to find the answers for themselves. Tell me more about that and why that's important to you. Right. So 
none of us know what the right answer is for anybody else. And though we want to so badly give the best advice, we, and, and aside from people being inspired in giving other people advice, I, I think that the answers are always from above with and, and go within. Mm, yeah. In a coaching sphere, it's just a place where questions are asked and space is held in my practice where the client or the coachee finds the answer on their own through answering a series of questions or questions. So that's really interesting to me. And we did this a little bit in Hawaii, but I kind of am thinking, let's just role play like, and not even role play, but just actually, what would you do if I was a brand new client and we got on a session and this is our session right now? Like, what are some of the questions you're asking someone in their first coaching session or two or whatever? Well, we'd usually just kind of unpack things and look at what's going on usually people in a coaching scenario have something that's that's bothering them or or triggering them and so the first step is to look at their circumstance and neutralize that circumstance and and see it for what it is because oftentimes you know, we make circumstances mean mean something like if your circumstance is the weather and it's raining, sometimes we can make that mean that it's going to be a bad day. Okay. To you as a coachee, I would say, I, I would ask you questions like, you know, how you feel about the circumstance, how you feel about the rainy day. And then together we would find out why, why it's not a good day because it's raining. Because to some people, it could be a totally great day. My sister and my friends, you know, a couple of them, they love rainy days. And to them, that means it's a good day and they're going to sit down and read a book they've been wanting to read. So that's that's the first thing we usually do. Okay, I love that. And I'm I'm actually, can we do just like a mini one with yeah. me on? Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... This is something that's been really bothering me and on my mind. There's when you were like something that's bothering you or triggering you. And I'm like, oh, I have all kinds of things that bother me and trigger me. (laughs) So here's one thing. And it's kind of interesting from a perspective of my husband and I are complete opposites in how our parents raised us and in like what we were going to achieve, like how much they pushed us, right? So I came from a family where my parents really pushed me to succeed. And therefore, I was like this piano prodigy. And I didn't go to a full day of school after fourth grade because I would take release time and come home and practice the piano for like three to five hours a day during the school year and five to eight hours a day during the summer. And I played in piano competitions. And I was able to get a scholarship to every major university in the state of Utah when it was time to graduate for piano performance and got into all of those piano performance programs. And I had like, I had my pick of whichever one I wanted. My husband came from a family where he was the youngest of six and his parents were very much like, if you want to do it, we'll support you, but we're not going to make you do anything. For example, he really regrets quitting football because he was like, I totally could have played. I could have played in 
high school, I he's like, I'm not, I wouldn't have gone to the NFL, but like I for sure at least could have had fun being part of something, playing in high school, feeling that camaraderie. However, it just looked really different. Like once we got to college where he was able to be so much more self-motivated because his parents were always like, it's on you, whatever you want to do. Like you make your own life, you, you pick. And then my parents where they had in college, it kind of fell apart where I was burned out and I quit piano performance because I was like, I want to go have fun with my friends. I've never done that before. But now it has come full circle where Neil is always like the reason why you can sit at a computer for hours is because you learned that discipline at a young age. And he's often like, I wish I would have learned to be more disciplined or be more committed to something because my parents never made me do that. So now the conundrum is having children that I we're always like, do we push them? Do we just let them do whatever they want? Do we get involved? Do we, are they going to be like, why didn't you push me more? Are they going to be like, why didn't you leave me alone? Yeah. So we're always doing this dance of like, how much do we push? We don't want to make them feel like we didn't ever give them any opportunities to succeed because you need a push as a kid. We also don't want them to burn out. So that's my, that's my bothersome problem. So what's the biggest problem there? Is, is it that you guys don't agree? No, we're both very much like, we're not really sure what to do. So we're just trying all, all we're open to anything. Yeah. We, we very rarely disagree on things like this. We're usually we're both like, okay, well, neither of us have it figured out. What are we going to do? And we're pretty open to figuring it out together. And you have five kids. We have five kids. And they're all so different. Yes. So different. Yes. Extremely different. And kind of what ills you is the thought that, what, we may be doing this wrong? Um, That we're just throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what sticks and, and definitely like guinea pigging our oldest kid and just trying to figure it out as we go. And that one of them might be like, gosh, you totally could have paid for or set us up with or pushed us or given us opportunities that would have I like I could have been a star I could have been a prodigy and you totally didn't push me or pushing them too hard and having them be like I didn't even want to do this and and I that's not what happened with me in piano I always wanted to do it but you hear of people right who are like uh I didn't really want to be a football star that was my dad's dream and I played it out yeah what if I told you they're gonna do that anyway Oh, shoot. (laughs) We're failing no matter what. Is that what you're telling me? Not necessarily failing. Okay. It's it's just the the human brain. It's totally normal for for the human brain to to look at what could have been, how you wish things would have played out. Because your sweet husband is thinking, well, I'm like this because I didn't get that discipline back then. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that's just not his jam. Maybe it's not his personality. Maybe it's not his wheelhouse. We don't know for sure. Mm. Yeah, that's so wise. That's true. That's true because it's really not his personality to be like, he's a white personality. He loves peace. He likes to just have things be like easy and steady and and not, he is not like, I get joy out of being the type A red like gung-ho let's go super hardcore yeah about 
things. So you're probably right. I don't know that he would have been into like the two-a-day practices anyway. And so I guess I would go back to your guys' thoughts about your your childhood Mm -hmm. and maybe look at what you're making it mean. It could be a fact that because you developed this discipline that you're good at being disciplined in other ways. I'm sure that's the case in a lot of ways, but but when we put hard definitions that we think are facts on things, sometimes it can trip us up. And you know, when you're doing the best you can as a parent, that's I mean, that's all you can do, right? Yeah. And the kiddos, like between 13 and, and 20, the latest science is that they they kind of push away from the parents and try to develop their own brains, their own set of everything. They're going to take mm-hmm. things that you taught them and leave the, some others, and they're going to come up with their own reasons why they're a certain way. Like, well, I didn't develop this skill, so I am not good at that. And and so they'll make up their own reasons, whether we think it's true or not. Mm-hmm. We're all left with these beautiful children <laughs> that that will have these life experiences that are a mixed bag. And yeah. the, as a fellow mother who wants the absolute best for our children, yeah, it brings me peace knowing that my best is good enough. Mm. Yes. Either way, they're going to have friction. And they're going to make things mean what they're going to make them mean. Mm. Regardless of me. Yes. Gosh, that's so good. And I love that this thinking, in my opinion, is so much more healthy than like the 90s-ish thinking of like, well, who did you wrong? Let's point fingers. Let's sit down and have like these therapy sessions where we break out all the old wounds and dig it all out and find what's infected and treat it with Neosporin and you've got a wound that's old. Instead, maybe just saying you're assigning meaning to things. Because the way I'm taking this in, I'm being reflective and saying, yeah, probably no matter what, I would have been fulfilled at trying to be that type A, like always trying to overachieve, always trying to do a little bit more than everybody else. Because anytime my parents were like, fine, if you don't want to do this, let's pull you out of piano. And I would be like, no, 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 this is my thing. I want to do this. And there's no way Neil would have even shown up for a piano lesson like that because that's not that does not bring him joy. So what you're saying makes so much sense to me about you can assign meaning to certain things and your kids probably will, but really is it the meaning that you're assigning or is it actually your own internal personality that drove these results and these things that made us who we are? Yes. So interesting. Yeah, so one of the best questions is what am I making it mean? Mm. It can be anything. Yeah. I have another question for you that's completely unrelated, but I'm super interested to hear what your perspective is on this because I hear it and deal with it a lot when I'm trying to help people with what I do a lot with codependency and women who 
are married to an addict, like a spouse of an addict, when someone feels just like they are stuck in betrayal trauma or they feel like they've been through something just horrific that like they can never get over, how do you help people with something like that where they feel like this wasn't my fault, something happened to me, I will never be the same, this is always going to hold me back? How do you help people who feel stuck in something like that? Well, there definitely can be traumas associated with that type of betrayal, and that is a real thing. It depends on on the person. There's definitely time given to feeling the pain, Mm. for sure. Yep. Because if the pain isn't felt, it'll come back and manifest in other ways and for a while until it is handled. So the first little bit, we kind of just sit in that pain a little and though it's not fun and my client wants to in this situation wants to feel better quickly. Yeah, they want it to go away right away. Like I don't want to feel this anymore. Yeah. They do, and it's understandable. But what I suggest is that we sit in in a safe space. Depending on the client, sometimes we'll do a little bit of somatic exercises or something that helps with the trauma and to allow the body to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a session where they'll just tell me all and they're they're safe to do so. And as a coach, there's no judgment. There's no agenda. It's just a place where they're heard and loved. And then we move on. Yeah. That looks different for everyone. And sometimes people are working with the therapist at the same time. Mm-hmm. They're working with the with a therapist, with their spouse or partner, whoever. It's all very individual, but I'm kind of like an intuitive coach. I'm not, there's not a, like a prescriptive, let's do this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. Usually just kind of a dance. Yeah. And that is a gift that you have for sure, where I, I watched that with like a group of, how many people did we have in your house in Hawaii? We had We had 11. 11. Yeah. And you really were so good at being perceptive and being just in tune with what people were going through and what they needed. And I observed you doing that so beautifully and holding space, just like you're saying, where you allow people to go through these things and let it take as long as it takes. And that's something that I feel like you have such a gift with. So that was really cool to watch you do that. Wanted to ask you, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? Because you just said that some of your clients have both. Yeah, that's a common question. Therapy is amazing in its ways and coaching is also amazing. They're not too different. In therapy can often look into the past Mm -hmm. and coaching and they work with the now and they work with the future. They're more diagnostic. Yes. Therapists are more diagnostic and they're trained to be so. Mm -hmm. And then coaching is more of a now and forward focus. Mm. Coaching, I think, it's been really popular for the past decade. And I can see why it is. I have nothing against therapy or therapists. But for me, it was just a breath of fresh air that mental health has been grabbed by the healing community. And people who just want to help and and not be tied down by, I don't want to say tied down, um, governed by red tape. Yeah. 
and they've taken the mental health problems. And I think that coach by coach, people are making new solutions Mm. and it's really refreshing to me because, you know, I agree. It's just such a problem and it's continuing to be more of a problem. And our science for mental health is like 200 years old. Yeah. Really haven't advanced that much. And we're not a society. We're not taking images of the brain Mm -hmm. too, but I just think it's kind of archaic, the mental health system. (laughs) Because you have specific, a really good understanding of what depression feels like, and you're even experiencing that right now, like a wave of that. How do you, if I were a client that came to you and said, I really have a problem with depression and well, or even we could even role play again. Like, let's say this is me in 2020 and I come to you and say, I have depression. I hate it. I'm in, I have postpartum depression. I'm like a shell of a person inside this body that I don't even recognize. I can't get out of bed. I'm like an, a type A doer, like do 150 things in a day that most people can do 15. And I can't even get myself out of bed to go get a piece of toast. And and when the baby cries and I need to feed him, I want to crawl into a ball and just not exist anymore because it's so it's it, it I f- am full of dread when I hear him cry and I know I have to get up and take 15 steps to walk into the nursery and get him and bring him back into my bed and I have to give myself a pep talk to even do something that simple. How do you help 2020 postpartum depression me? Well, I would absolutely be there as far as saying I'm so sorry this is happening. This is so real. This is something that would need to be I would I would suggest that you saw someone medically for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's it's a it's a real issue, it's a real medical and mental problem. Yeah. I would I would direct you there first. And then I would be there as far as coaching in a way that fit your ability and your desire. Some people, like I said, I was just throwing out all kinds of modalities of communication. I coach from, sometimes I'm like a coach in your pocket. Like you could just, anybody can that I'm coaching can get on Marco Polo, Boxer, text or whatever, and we can communicate that way or Zoom calls or or whatnot. But but I guess as far as the coaching goes, it's it's again looking at the thought work. I use a model put together by Brooke Castillo, who I studied under, and Jody Moore also uses it. And it's looking at the circumstance like we just talked about earlier and looking at what we're making it mean. Hmm. And then we are, after that, we're noticing how we're feeling from that thinking because feelings always come from a thought. Yeah. And then actions always come from feeling. And then results always come from an action. Hmm. So there is framework there, absolutely. But... One of the most powerful is just to notice what we're doing with the circumstance. Like postpartum depression would be the circumstance there. 
And what we would do is, is find out how you're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. If you're thinking I shouldn't be feeling this way, I suck as a mom and all these things, which the disease offers you, it's going to offer you that anyway. Mm -hmm. That's what you're practicing and letting be your your default thought, then it stacks against you. Mm -hmm. More pain and more agony. And then there's shame. And it makes it so much more difficult to heal from. Mm -hmm. So if we adopt something else like, I am a person who is experiencing postpartum depression. It removes the, de- the disease from, from the person that is experiencing it. And, and then healing is, is in my opinion, smoother. Mm, yeah. It's a ravenous disease. It is an actual, it's something that almost hijacks you. Well, I remember when you're talking about like, how did I think about it? And what was my, how was I processing that in my brain? Two things come to mind. First of all, when you said shame, I had to hire like a girl that was home from college who lived in our neighborhood to come help extra, like on top of what I, the help that I normally have hired so that I can do my job. Like I had to hire an extra person to help with my kids because I was so incapacitated and I was so embarrassed to have her in my home. Like I needed it. So I did it because it was what was best for my kids. But I remember just being like, it made me even more like I didn't want to come out of my room because I didn't want her to see how much of a mess I was. And she was super nice to me. And I just remember being like, don't look at me. Don't even like, I don't even want you to know that I exist in this way. So I felt a ton of shame. But then my other thing was I was obsessed, literally obsessed with when is this going to end? I would think about it all day. When is this going to end? How long do I have to do this? When is it going to be over? I want it to be over now. I want it to be over yesterday. I had an absolute obsession with like, when is this going to end? And I, I can totally relate with that. Yeah. (laughs) And though a lot of our thinking power is robbed from the disease of depression, Mm -hmm. it's still helpful to investigate and see what thoughts are running what we're mm. capable of believing because practiced like repeated thoughts in our minds are beliefs. And so it's really important to see what we're believing. Mm. It's important to see what we're thinking about what's going on. My, for instance, depression for me is easier to navigate when I remind myself, which is hard to do, that it will ease up. I don't know mm. what I'm going to. My bouts are sometimes are three weeks to three months. That sucks. I hate it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's grueling. It's hard on my family. My marriage making plans is super hard. But one thing that I still can practice over and over to, to the point where it becomes a belief is this will end. And sometimes that's all I can do because I'm mad at it. Mm. So tired of it. It's just something so simple. And, and it makes it so there aren't layers of shame put on top of the healing process. That's so interesting. Well, another thing I thought of when you were saying that, and I think that would have been so helpful for me to have that 
information and have those tools. But I remember feeling also shame that I could show up for work and that my brain turned on for that. And then for everything else, it turned off and feeling like maybe I was faking it somehow to myself, even though I knew it was real. Is this making any sense? It makes total sense. Because, well, and I can't tell you scientifically why that is, Mm -hmm. but my husband and kids, like my husband brought me my medicine this morning and my vitamins. And you heard Liberty get me, my daughter get me the Coke, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I have help at my house, but I'm here. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if there's like a, an adrenaline surge when we have something specific on, on the calendar. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I'm glad it's relatable. And I wasn't like crazy because I would, I remember feeling a lot of shame, like, okay, does this mean that I love work more than my baby that I dread breastfeeding when he cries? Like I felt so embarrassed about that internally, you know? Absolutely. And I I mean, I wish I could give a scientific answer. But what would you say to me if I was like, Billy, I'm so embarrassed by this. I'm such a bad person. What's wrong with me? I would probably ask a few questions. I would ask why I would dig a little deeper. And then perhaps maybe you could see for yourself how that thinking isn't serving you. Mm, Yeah. Because we know sitting right here that postpartum depression is is such a chemical disease that attacks the brain and, and has all to do with your, your hormones. And I think we would probably arrive at the, at the answer that would be something like those don't affect this neural pathway that leads you to go to work. Hmm. Even the mere fact that you're like, yep, that's relatable. That makes sense. Makes I, I mean, it's kind of in the past for me now, but I think it would have been, it would have meant so much in that moment to feel like I had a safe place to tell somebody that because it's easier to talk about it in retrospect to be like, oh, when I was struggling, this is what I felt. But in that moment, I was like, I want to die if someone sees how bad I am at being a mom to this newborn baby, but how much I can just turn it on and show up for work. Right. Yeah. And that is textbook postpartum depression. That's so crazy. For sure. Well, it's really, you have such a gift for truly making people just feel safe and peaceful in being exactly who they are, wherever they're at. So I just think it's amazing that, that you've channeled this and that you're able to give it to so many people. So do you want to talk about why you've decided to offer coaching for free and what the what your meaning is behind that and, and why you do it? Because when you told me that, I was like, that is wild. You're doing this for free? How? Why? In my training, we were given business tips and, and education on, on how to establish a coaching business and all these things. And it makes so much sense. And it is so worth paying for. And I am so pro paying for services. But for me, I came to realize that it's just not my model. It's not where I'm working from. I I want to say I want to show my gratitude for it. I'm I'm grateful. I'm I'm blessed to be able to 
coach as as a contribution to the world because my husband does have the the needs covered for my family in supplying what we need and and providing for the family. So it's something that I don't need to do. What I do want to do is fill my time with healthy contributing things and I I want to reach out and I love that I can reach out. I'm a homebody. I love I can reach out from my my desk at home and yeah and be with other people. It's so so great. And Lloyd and I have and Lloyd's brothers and their wives have a nonprofit called Become More and it is focused right now on the most impoverished most poor in in Cambodia. And so my contribution to our nonprofit is to coach by donation to the nonprofit called Become More. So if we work together and you want to go make a donation to Become More, awesome. If not, if if the funds aren't there, that's awesome too. This is something that I need for me to live my best life, honestly. I need to be a vessel for light to flow through me to manage my own depression. So my model is is free essentially, but if but there are donations that can be made to become more if somebody wants to do that. That's so cool. I just couldn't believe it when you told me that, but what an amazing way to, you know, fulfill a need that you have to be to really feel fulfilled, which is what you guys live by with your your husband's G cubed theory, yes. which I love, and then provide a really meaningful service for other people. I just think it's so cool that you've combined those things. Thank you for letting me talk about it and present it. It's it's just something that we really love. I really love doing, and it. I'm, it really does help me. I think most people understand that when you help someone else, your day is better. So my last question for you is, if there's one message that you want the people listening to this podcast episode to remember, what is that? What do you want that one message to be? You know what? My one message would be to nourish the relationship with your deity, whoever that might be your maker, your God, because right now we are inundated with, with so many voices, so many messages. I think we all know it. And my, my greatest desire would be to shine light on, on God, on, on, on Jesus Christ. That, that I like. That's how I get through my depression. But my greatest desire would be to share that the most helpful thing is to pay attention to the higher voice. Amen to that. I believe that too with my whole heart. And I love that you shared that as your most meaningful message. So where can people find you, Billy, if they want to work with you and hire you as their life coach? So I'm online at bestilllifecoaching.com. Okay. There, it's just a simple website. It's basically just a scheduler. So if if people would like to hop on there and make a, I think it's called a it's called a safe space consultation. That's just 
no expectations, no strings attached meeting that we have to kind of go over how I can be helpful in whatever way. Awesome. And then you have an Instagram too, yes. where you share stuff about your life coaching. Yeah, that is Be Still Billy. I'm reachable there too. If you want to DM me, that's great too. Okay, perfect. And we'll put those in the show notes. So thanks again so much for doing this today and spending time with me. You're so fun to talk to. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.